welcome to NCBI Labs. So what's coming up this week on NCBI Labs live event number 29? Well, as usual, we have plenty to talk about. This week, we're going to be focusing a little bit on online shopping and how to stay safe online. Now, during the pandemic, much of how we do things has moved online and, and people have been learning about talking about maybe um, working online, uh, getting education online, all of these different things that are a, a change or a difference to how they would have done things before. But in the case of online shopping, it's really just been maybe an escalation of how people were already buying what they needed, whether it's the, the weekly grocery shopping or shopping for DIY tools or electronics, even medicines. People use the internet to pick up just about everything. But what do you need to know about shopping online? How useful is it for somebody with sight loss? Are there any dangers to it? Well, today we're going to be talking to NCBI Labs technology trainer Derek Carlan, as well as IBM Techline specialist Martin O'Sullivan to answer some of those questions. A little bit later on, we're going to also have our regular quick tips section as well. And, and from this week on, we're going to do a little bit of almost like a training session each week. So if you have a smartphone, whether it's Apple or Android, just have it to hand when we're going through the quick tips section. Uh, we're going to be going particularly over the uh, voiceover or talkback gestures. And we're going to start with some of the more basic ones this week. Each week we'll give you a couple of additional ones for you to practice uh, in your own time as well, so that you'll be able to build up a good knowledge of those features. So we'll be doing that from today uh, with our quick tip section. And of course, we're going to have our tech help section later on as well, where we answer some of your issues uh, live on the show here. So all of that is to come a little bit later on. But first of all, this week on our meet the team section, it's the turn of one of our own live events team to be in the hot seat. So welcome back to the show, Sean. Hi, Jude. How are you? You usually don't get a, a welcome. We usually just take you for granted, but you actually get a, a welcome this week when you're being interviewed. So you're, you're particularly welcome this week, Sean. I'm normally down in the dungeon running the videos. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, first off, Sean, I have to just check something. Is it true? There's been maybe rumours and I kind of tend to believe them myself. Is it true that for the past three years you've been voted into Dundalk's top five most rec recognised celebrities? I think I think that that's true. I'm, I'm gradually getting into the top three, but it's <laughs> tough. That's the ambition. It's the, it's the other, it's the, it's the four cores that are keeping me out of the top three. That's it, yeah. <laughs> so you come in at number five every year, is that it? Every, every year. <laughs> Well, there's there's actually a, a slight element of truth in this, in that most of you might recognise Sean's voice even from uh, from the tech support line, because Sean would be um, well known on the tech support line. But maybe, Sean, you can just give us a little bit of an idea of how long you've been with NCBI and where you're based and things like that. Um, I've been with NCBI five, over five years now. Um, based in Drumcondra currently um, in head office, but um, I started off with NCBI by volunteering for uh, technical technical training. Um, I started off helping Miriam and Miriam gave me guidance on how to use JAWS and that at the time. Mm. 
And then after that there, a position opened up in actually clerical in the, in the Dundalk office right next to me. So I took that position up and then I've been sort of moving and out of, out of different roles in NCBI ever since. Brilliant, very good. And was that always your background in um, tech support and things like that? Yeah, I did um, software development in college and I always sort of worked something to do with computers. If I wasn't breaking them at home, I was fixing them somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've always worked even like even in jobs where it was just things like I, I worked in sales. I've, I've worked in every kind of possible thing you can imagine, but you're always doing something on a computer or databases or, you know, Microsoft products. So over the years, you become fairly adept at using them. It must be something you, you kind of you've always enjoyed then in that case to be kind of dipping in and out of different aspects of IT. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, as a child, if I, I, I break, I'd break things in the house and I'd try and break them less before my parents got home. <laughs> so uh, that that's kind of where I, I picked that stuff up from. You you try and break them less. That's a that's a noble ambition. That is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not as broken as it was when I first started. So. <laughs> and did that ever work? That excuse. Ah, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't recommend you use that excuse. <laughs> giving people ideas here. So tell us what what does your role at NCBI involve at the moment? What has it involved over over the last couple of years, maybe? Well, I was after after like clerical and that there, and clerical is a great place to work in NCBI because you do pick up lots of the of how NCBI works and all the services and like it's it's vast the services that we have. So it's it was a good starting ground of picking up you know what we do and what we can do, and then I moved into training and support. And I've been doing uh, training and support for maybe the last two and a half years, maybe with NCBI. And now I'm moving into kind of like uh, projects and website testing and app testing and a whole host of different things. So it's 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 always interesting at NCBI, uh, uh, which is great. And have you have you always kind of enjoyed that aspect of it? It must be challenging as well. I think we had this kind of same conversation a little bit with Colin last week. The idea of actually giving tech support over the phone sometimes can be quite a challenge. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a mixture of like two, uh, sort of two thoughts because every day is different. Like there's no two people coming with the same problem, but then through experience with, with people with slightly similar problems, like you can kind of get an idea how to solve it quicker or you kind of get to the solution quicker because you've had experience. But in saying that, like I said there, there's no two days that are the same when you're doing support or training because everyone's needs are different. Everyone has a different computer setup, different yeah. version of the software. And if, if you're into it, it's always it's always interesting. There's no day that you went, oh, I've done that, I've done that before. It's, it's always different. I think one of Colin's recommendations last week, I'm not sure if he thought it was a recommendation at the time, of course, but he said something along the lines of, um, I think he worked uh, in IT support um, in the Norwegian language and he didn't speak Norwegian and apparently he felt that helped him. I don't know, there's a tip for you, Sean, you can go and work in a <laughs> foreign country place that you don't speak the language. Events if I want to send me over to Sweden or Norway to, for a few months, I'll be, I'll be quite happy with that. For, for your professional development. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell me, is there anything specific, you, you mentioned there that you've, your role has kind of changed a bit in terms of um, looking at different projects at the moment. Anything particular you're working on at the moment? Well, we're currently working on a new website for NCBI and we want to make sure that that's, 
you know, fully accessible, works well for for every type of person that's using it, sighted, non-sighted, and different let different different software. So, it's a, it is a big on, on undertaking, but it, it's it, it's shaping up very nicely, and I think people will be excited with the new features we have on the website. And I know, like, uh, Kyron was on the past, and Alan on the past, and they're talking about um, you know, the smart hub that'll be coming in the next year or so. So I'll be helping Alan and Kyron out with that also, and. I'll be doing a lot of app testing. I'll be doing a lot of testing for the HSE currently. Like they might have a, a website or a portal and they'll send it to us and we go through it for accessibility and give them notes back on it and they can correct it from there, um, which is very useful for, for them to get their website audited in, in terms of accessibility and then for us to know that there's going to be more websites out there that are accessible. Brilliant. Yeah, very good. And a couple of those projects as well will be sure to uh, keep everyone updated on as they uh, develop through this year. Um, the ones that are related particularly to NCBI initiatives will uh, certainly update. People. Yeah, excellent. So thanks very much for coming on the show, getting interviewed, Sean. Great no to problem. have you on the show. So, I'll, tr uh, <laughs> go on. I'll, tr I'll try I'll try and make the top three for the next time I'm on the show for in Dundalk. I was going to say there's Sean, Sean Doran. He's uh, one of Dun Dundalk's most famous sons gunning for top spot. So watch out the cores. So that's the, the warning coming from Sean Dunn. <laughs> brave, <laughs> brave talk there from Sean Doran. Um, so thanks very much for coming on to the show today, Sean. And we'll no doubt be hearing from you later on in the show anyway in bits and pieces as well. well. Thanks, Jude. Very good. Good stuff. So that was a nice start to the, to the show this week. So um, before we go on, just to, to mention that uh, if you have any questions, uh, of course, as usual, on any of the things that, that uh, we're going to be talking about today, but just to make Sean's life more uncomfortable as well, if you want to ask Sean anything, feel free to do that as well. You can send in an email at labs at ncbi.ie uh, or you can just use the um, the panel on the right hand side of Teams if you're connecting through Microsoft Teams as well. Very good. So let's move on to our main topic today. As we said, we're talking about online shopping and how to stay safe online. And for the first part of our discussion today, we're glad to welcome back Derek Carlan, part of our labs team here at NCBI, to give us a bit of an overview of online shopping. So welcome back, Derek. Good to have you on the show again. Hi, Jude. How are things? Thanks for having me. Good stuff. So maybe to get straight into it, Derek, uh, to start off with, maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about why shopping online can be particularly useful or is of particular interest maybe to somebody with sight loss. Yeah, I, I suppose, look, shopping online is, is a convenience for us all, okay? And uh, it's just the idea of being able to, to go online, order items and get them delivered directly to your door, okay? Uh, so this is a big plus across the board because it means that, you know, you don't have to leave the house, you know, you don't have to organized transport to get in and out of town to, to, to do some shopping. Uh, you don't have to haul stuff around town with you while you're waiting for a bus or waiting for a taxi to get home. You know, the fact yeah. that, you know, shopping online is, is open 24 seven, you know, you're not time constraints, you know, so you can shop late at night or early in the morning, whatever time suits you at the weekend and the Sunday, you know, and like a lot of the websites now are, are starting to offer a lot of, you know, good descriptions about the items that they have online, you know, so uh, so it's it's a way of kind of being able to do it yourself independently, which is quite which is a big plus. Um, last week I was chatting to one or two of my groups after you had uh, had, had asked me to come on, and uh, we just kind of 
briefly, I throw out the question like what would people buy online? And I think you mentioned a few of them earlier on there in your introduction, but like weekly groceries was a big thing, you know, others mentioned clothes and then electronic goods. And then kind of the conversation popped up so that people like go online and, and they, they sign up for different like Netflix or Disney or one of those providers, you know, so it's, it's an online transaction again where they're you know, passing over account details to these companies, you know, they might look might look as a utility such as changing their ESB provider or their, their broadband provider, you know, um, like I suppose before COVID, we were probably booking hotels and holidays and flights. So hopefully we'll get back to on that again. And others mentioned like takeaways or online banking. OK, and another one that came up was pet food. So people like to purchase pet food and it's a lot easier to get it delivered, the door, live, delivered to your door than trying to carry it home, you know. So yeah, that, actually, it, yeah, that, that actually just strikes me there because that's one of the things we've got cats and uh, yeah. it's uh, it's one of those things where some of the some of the, the best ways to do that instead of having the big sacks of cat food in your trolley coming back from one of the one of the supermarkets to be able to get it delivered is actually really useful. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, you know, even with the grocery shopping, like, you know, you're not you're not hauling stuff around the town with you like you know or, or the guys come and deliver to your door and bring it in or you know and it's it's, it's unpacked there and you, all you need to do is put it away like it, it is definitely a great feature of it but also the fact that you can go online that you're not you're not dependent on somebody else really you know if you can get online yourself you can work away independently and uh and purchase what you need you know which is quite good it's handy just to even hear some of those things categorized because sometimes when you're talking about something that's as big as the internet and being able to shop online, it's nearly so vast that it's hard to narrow down in your mind what you might want to try. So it's kind of it's it's useful just to hear what some some people are using it for. Is it generally um, worthwhile from a from a financial perspective? Is it is it actually a case of being able to find maybe better deals online or or do you end up maybe spending actually just as much when you factor in postage and packing and things like that? Uh, I suppose really it depends on the individual and it depends on what you're, what you're looking for. I suppose if you have some time and you can spend a bit of time, like when you're online, you can do great comparison. So it's very easy to, to compare a product in, in shop A with a product in shop B to see the cost of them, you know? So you kind of do price comparison quite easily, you know, around as opposed to if you had to go into town, you might have to walk half a mile in this direction to get to the shop A to go in and look at the product and then walk back the other up op the opposite way again, you know? So like yeah. you can do shop comparisons, you know, or price comparisons on products in shops quite easily, you know, if you if yeah. you put the time into it. Okay. Also, I suppose when it comes to the stuff being delivered, okay, a lot of the websites and a lot of the companies will offer you free delivery if you spend X amount. Okay. Yes. So yeah. I so once again, I suppose it's going back to the whole kind of idea of being kind of organized. So if you can kind of plan ahead where possible and look at I fully appreciate and I know myself, it's not the easiest to kind of plan ahead. Sometimes, you know, you get stuck for something you might need to order online. But if you can plan ahead and be organized, definitely you can save on, on postage and, uh, you know, delivery costs. OK, and also a lot of the companies offer offer good deals if you spend X amount, maybe over 60 euro or, or something like that, you know, you will get free delivery, which is a big plus. I suppose what you need to probably watch out for, Jude, is sometimes depending on the goods you're ordering, if it needs to be returned, you yeah. just need to, to, to kind of look into the terms and conditions in relation to items being returned. Some company, some companies are very, very good. And if something needs to go back, it, it may they may offer free pickup to bring it back. OK. Others might involve you having to repackage the stuff and bring it to a certain location and it's picked up from there from free or brought back. 
Yeah. Whereas others sometimes will charge you for returning the goods. So you just kind of yeah. need to keep aware of that. But generally, like like I would find, and like from talking to, to different people as well, you're like, you know, if you kind of do your homework, you know, you should work out fairly okay, you know? Yeah, very good. I guess I, it's kind of like anything else in, in that if you've got, if you've got a string of, let's say, yeah, you were somewhere where there was a hundred shops, you could go into all of them, you'd find some are good on selling some things at a good price. Others are, are maybe have strengths in, in different areas in terms of the, their pricing points. But if you're able to compare them, you're able to get a, a good deal across the board. In a, in a town, you're kind of restricted to however many shops are in that town. But I suppose that's the advantage of the internet as well, isn't it? You've got kind of this, this huge place to be able to actually compare providers and, and uh, that gives you quite a lot of scope for saving I guess. Exactly and, and possibly sometimes it gives you too much scope because you have too much choice but like but like that's that's the good with the bad as I say uh, but yeah you know definitely it, it is gives you you get a get a good price comparison you know across yeah. the board on a wide range of products yeah. So I guess if that's the case then is it pretty easy to pick up and you know just to learn how to shop online if somebody has been a little bit maybe afraid of it before um is it fairly straightforward to do yeah it's it, it's it's one of these things i think that you possibly need to do it once or twice to kind of build up your confidence you know in, in doing the process and working it out um from talking to, to the guys last week in, in the different groups again like you know the key thing that came back to me is that they kind of use sites that they're familiar with the whole time Okay, yeah. so these are websites that they would have gone into and probably spent a bit of time browsing around and getting familiar with the layout and where to find products and, and where to square the shopping cart is and how to add an item and that kind of stuff. So once you kind of, I suppose, break it down and, and there's nothing worse because I know one or two of the websites sometimes uh, that I've been on before is once you add something to your shopping basket, a little countdown timer might start clicking off in relation to yeah. you might have 15 minutes to complete your transaction or whatever. And if that's the first time that you're on the on the site, it will put you under a little bit of pressure and you're kind of trying to trying to navigate around and, and get everything through before the 15 minutes are up or you might have to restart again. But I, I yeah. suppose going back to your initial question is, is, is it easy to pick it up? Yes, for some of the sites, they're very, very straightforward. You just possibly like I mentioned earlier on doing your homework, you probably just need to do a bit of preparation the first couple of times. And once you get in on it, you'll find that a lot of the sites have similar flows to them so that they're laid out quite similarly. It, it, the process is, is, is the same in, in most respects, you know. So, yeah, I'd say yes. it's straightforward enough to pick it up, but it's a confidence thing as well. And you possibly need to do one or two transactions, first of all, to get up and running, you know, and sometimes maybe a bit of assistance at the start. And like the labs yeah. are always here to help. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it is, it is, I would say it's, it's straightforward enough with it, you know, to get going. Yeah. You mentioned there that there's maybe differences between different websites. It, does it tend to be like a completely different experience on some websites or is it a case of the general principles are kind of the same, but they might, they might kind of look a bit different or they might go through a few different steps. What's the... Yeah, look, I, I, in general, the principle is the same. You, you, you're going on to a website, you're, you're mm. selecting products, you're going to put them into some sort of shopping cart and then you're going to go and check out. So that's the general yes. principle and pay for it. OK, but I suppose it depends on what sites you're going on to. So say, for example, if I'm going on to a site and I want to buy a knife phone, for example, or an Android phone, I don't want to start that debate again. But if I want to buy a new phone, OK, and yeah. uh, 
So I would go onto the website that's selling the phone, find the phone and add it to the cart. OK, and yeah. carry out the transaction. OK, say I was going to book a flight to China. OK, or send, we're sending Sean off to Sweden, are we? So we're sending Sean off to Sweden. <laughs> apparently so. so, yeah. Yeah, apparently <laughs> so. So, so say I was, I was to go online and do that. OK, when I'm doing that, the form will be a bit longer because it would look for what airport I'm leaving. What airport am I going to arrive at? What are the dates I'm leaving at? You know, when am I hoping to come home? Are we bringing Sean home? That's another argument. But, yeah. you know, so so like there'll be a couple of extra little forms, you know, applicable to when you fly out. That will be quite similar then to if you're booking a, a room in a hotel or something like that. Once again, it's, it's look for dates and times you'd be arriving and how long you're staying and that kind of stuff, you know. So there's yeah. a few little kind of tweaks, tweaks like that, depending on what, once again, you, you, you're, you're looking for. But in general, the principle is the same. You're going, you're trying to select your item, pick the item that you want and then add it to the cart and then complete yeah. the transaction afterwards. Yeah. So tell me then with, with that kind of basic knowledge of, of how the whole process works, what, what would be some of the common issues with shopping online for somebody with sight loss? Yeah, I, I, I suppose websites can be kind of set up in such a way that they're, they're there to promote goods and promote products okay so if you're with low vision or if you're using a screen reader there may be a lot of clutter on the page so yeah. when you open up the home page there might be just different information being thrown at you left right and center about products deals and so on okay so that's one of the one of the issues that can be a lot of clutter all right another issue is you can be working away sometimes with your, your screen reader and you're moving through your web page and then you come to a, a form field and a form field is, is one of these boxes that you might type in some information into. Uh, yeah. uh, so uh, it might be labeled properly. So it just comes to unlabeled form field or unlabeled edit or something like that. And you're kind of going, well, what what is that box or what does it what does it do? You know, or, or you, so you can kind of get lost or you might be trying to add an item to your shopping list. OK, or you might be at, if you're doing your shopping list and you want to get two loaves of bread, you might have your loaf selected. But you might struggle to get to the option to put in two items as opposed to one, you know. So little yeah. things like that, that that can be that can be tricky to navigate, you know. So clutter yeah. pages, unlabeled form fields. Okay, so they're the boxes where we enter the information, yeah. you know, such as keywords and yeah. so on. Uh, unlabeled links or graphics. Sometimes there might be a picture on the page, but it, it might be described. There might be no alternative text on it to, to explain. So all text is the text that explains what the image is. So, so you yeah. don't have a clue. You know, or the descriptions might be that great about the product. You know, it was just interesting. One of my groups last week again, I was talking to somebody and they were kind of bringing up the point. They were looking at an item of clothing and uh, clothing, a jacket or something. And uh, basically they, they didn't get a full description of what, what, what the item was, you know, so so they weren't, yeah. weren't sure, sure about it, you know. So, yeah, yeah. so is there anything with, with some of those things that you mentioned there? Um, is there something that so let's say I'm I'm online now I come up against one of those problems is there something that I should be doing or is it just a case of I've just got to kind of accept in that position that maybe that website isn't going to be one that I can that I can necessarily access at this point uh well I suppose just in around the closure first of all okay the closure yeah. if you can kind of get used to the software that you're using be it your, your jaws or your nvda screen reader or your voiceover on your phone or even your your magnifying software your zoom text okay if you can get yeah. used to features and kind of try and kind of skip all the clutter so what i mean by that is if you want to look for a certain product there's usually a search box on the actual uh on the screen somewhere so if you can do a find okay so sometimes the control and f will, will give you the find function where you can type in what you're looking for 
Okay, and that allows you to bypass all that clutter. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes for some of those unlabeled form fields, if you kind of keep moving around by the process maybe of elimination, you figure out that's what they're looking for there and that. Or so maybe they're looking for the credit card number there or their, the expiry date is, is the one that's unlabeled. Some of them might be labeled, some of them may not. Okay. And unfortunately, yeah. I suppose some of them may not be labeled at all. So you might just need to get some assistance from somebody just to say, well, that's what they're looking for here. This is what this box is, you know? So that's kind of... Yeah, I think that's really useful for people to know because there, there's kind of there's maybe strategies to try and improve it or to get the most out of it or to do as much as you, you can with it. But it's also good for people to know, I think, sometimes that actually it's it's not necessarily that they've done something wrong or that there's something that they should know how to do. It might just be that the website is is not particularly well designed and and um, that that's not something that's that they've done wrong. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I suppose websites are designed in and evolve as time goes on. So you might be on a website this week and, you know, you can work away through it fine. And then next week, the web, the company might have some amazing offer and they might have changed their website, the homepage on it or, you know, put up some sort of offers and that might have a knock on effect to the way you would have done it the previous week. So it's, it's a matter of kind of trying to, to navigate around it, you know, like try and use your hotkeys as well sometimes maybe to, to jump to headings on the page. So like the hotkeys are, are kind of built into JAWS so you can either bring up a list of all the headings on a page if they're there or a list of links or also a list of form fields so that kind of gives you an idea of, of what's around and on the page as well to move around i suppose coming back to description sometimes um like what i'd find is quite good myself is you know if it's like sometimes i'd be looking at an item online and the description would, would would be okay but i'd start reading there might be reviews about that item so you could read the yeah. reviews and that gives you a, a, maybe a better opinion of what the item is like based on people who have bought it previously. And other times I might just go and drop an email to the company kind of go, I was looking at this. I'm not sure if the questions were answered. I have the following questions and send them off an email. And you know, sometimes they come back to me with those answers, which is quite good too, you know, so. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Well, well, that's been really helpful, Derek. Appreciate you going through the, the basics of, of online shopping, what the process is like, and also particularly for somebody with site loss, what some of the issues might be and, and possible solutions. Um, we're going to, move on to the the online security section now we've got uh, martin o'sullivan with us as well but i think i'm not sure derek if you're able to hang on but if you're not you're uh, th thank you very much for joining us yeah. today on the on the show that was no problem, uh, really informative thanks very good and uh, just a reminder to everyone as well um, that if you have any questions please do put them in on uh, the question and answer panel on teams or just send us an email at labs at ncbi but now we have Martin O'Sullivan um, with us. Martin is working as a tech line specialist for IBM. You're very welcome, Martin. Hello there, how's it going? So maybe to start with, Martin, can, can you tell us a little bit why um, security is such an important thing to talk about in an online environment? Well, with security, what you're talking about is protecting someone from acting against your interests. So for example, uh, if you're buying something on a shop, you want to buy something from that shop and not have them just take your money and not give you the thing. And yeah. you also want to make sure that someone isn't pretending to be the shop you think that, they, that you're on. For example, let's say someone was pretending to be Tesco's and you thought you were going to get your groceries and instead they just get your money and you get no groceries. And when you go to Tesco's, Tesco's go, well, you know, you weren't on our website. We're on some website called 
GEFFS CEOs or something like that. That's a common one that, that happens as well, that people pretend to be a different website. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a number of measures you can take to protect yourself against that sort of thing. Um, mm. The first thing would always be that if someone sends you a text, uh, for example, the latest one going around is now is because of Brexit, um, that you owe customs fees on a particular item that you're going to get. The best thing to do would be to contact that website themselves and ask them, say, oh, I'm being, I've received this text to say that I owe custom fees. Can you confirm whether or not this is true? And most of them will mm. go, no, it's not true. That's just a spoof text. Um, some of the texts are actually being sent out in Irish now as well, um, which is interesting. Um, yeah, so the first thing you've got to do is keep keep your keep your head and go. When someone asks you for something in a hurry, well, it's not that urgent. You know why is it yeah. urgent? You know why is it urgent? Why is there a hurry? Um, another thing you can do to protect yourself is, um, if you get you know spam email, just delete it. Don't bother replying to it. Um, some people say, oh, you should report it. There's not really much of a point anymore. And um, you just delete mm. it and move on uh, because it's your mm. time. Um, yes. Another thing that I find is when you when you're doing go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, when you're doing anything in security, it's always better to layer it. For example, if you're shopping on a on, for example, let's say Vodafone and you want to buy a phone, and I would always use um, Revolut. And the reason I use that is because I only put the money into Revolut that I want to spend on the shop. So, for example, let's say the phone costs fifty euro. I put 50 euro on my Revolut card and then I use that card to buy the phone. So that if someone does manage to intercept the transaction, they can, the maximum they can get is 50. They can't get into your yeah, bank account, yeah. they can't get anything else. So yeah. that's why I would always recommend people use kind of different things like Revolut and that sort of thing because it, it adds a layer between you and yes, anyone yeah. potentially getting your, your details. So even if they get your details. Yeah. That's really useful. We, we might just get into a couple more specifics in, in just a minute. Just when people hear about security risks, so I'm just thinking that um, maybe somebody who's been a little bit reticent to use online shopping, whenever they hear things about security risks and things like that, um, they, they might be thinking that they're never going to go near the internet again, and then others might simply never think about it. How, like, where is the balance with that? How worried should we be about online security because you mentioned there that there are some common things that that are happening is is the internet rife with it is it going to be a a risk and a danger every time you go online well it depends on where you're going if you're going to tesco's website and you have that bookmarked in your bookmarks file you know you're always going to go pretty much to that website it would be very hard for someone to get into a big website not impossible but it would be very very hard and yeah. Tesco's themselves would have protection built in because they would know that if um, someone got into their website and managed to steal, you know, millions and millions of euros, they'd be on the hook for it because their reputation yeah. is everything. So for a site that has a reputation to defend, you can be fairly sure that they have fairly robust security measures in place. But if you're on yeah. some you know, smaller websites doesn't really have that much of a reputation to defend, or if they do get hacked, just can't afford to pay you back, um, then you're in you're in bigger trouble. Um, now that's not to say big websites don't get hacked, but they they have more money to invest in security. 
um, a lot of the smaller websites will use uh, secure platforms because they know they can't secure them themselves. So they'll use a platform, you know, like Stripe or a few other payment processors who actually process the payment for them rather than processing it themselves. PayPal is another like one. Outsourcing it. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Google Pay is another one. There's a good few of these outsourced ones now that people know because they know that they can't uh, constantly be on the ball in terms of all the security, they have to outsource it to someone else. Yeah. Is there any simple ways of knowing that the, the website that you're on is a safe one? Well, they always say, you know, check for the padlock in the bar. For a visually impaired person, you have to check that it starts with HTTPS. Um, okay. That is the sign that it's secure. Um, the S stands for secure. Uh, what happens there is the website has a layer of encryption between you and the website. So it means that when you send data to it, it can't be read. Um, there is a team, um, I, I work for IBM, and there is a team who actually are paid break into their websites. Um, right, yeah, yeah. And they use all the, the tricks that would be used in the wild uh, to try and break into a website. And yeah. they often can get in, um, you know, a lot of times these things can their configurations on the website. But you've got to watch for example, um, if a website suddenly changes or if a website suddenly has a whole pile of ads on it, you know, that were never yeah. on it before, you have to be going, well, that's a bit suspicious. Um, yeah. If a website, uh, if you've heard about a data breach, for example, um, in America, Target was breached and they got 50 million names and credit card numbers. Um, a you know, if you hear about a breach, you should always contact the company if you have had a relationship with them. Um, for example, yeah. uh, Target had social security numbers and they were breached. And they're a shock. It would be the equivalent of giving your PPS number to Done Source. There's no reason for you to ever give that data to Done Source. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another trick you have to use is to limit the data that you're giving to a website. All they need is your phone number and email address. If they're asking for your PPS number, they're they're up to no good. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we all remember what happened with Irish Water. Um, mm. You know, if someone's asking for more information than they need to complete the transaction, there's something wrong with yeah. that. Yeah, so sort of it's a nice kind of combination of sort of common sense, but also maybe just one or two little things to just check. Like you mentioned the HTTPS, just navigating to the address bar and just getting it to be read out if you're using a screen reader. Listen for the S, isn't it? So yes, listen for the S. that's a handy couple, of, handy couple of tips there. We mentioned a couple of the risks already, but maybe just we could put a couple of terms to those risks, a couple of names to the, the risks that are there. So people will have heard about phishing, for example. P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, as opposed to starting with F. So what is phishing? Well, phishing is when you, um, you're phishing for details. You're trying to yeah. get someone to give them, because hacking a computer is surprisingly hard. If you're listening to the news or watching movies, you think it's just a matter of a couple of keystrokes. Um, you know, and sometimes that's all it is, but most of the time, uh, even basic security uh, can defeat most of the, as they call them, threat actors, people who want to, to do harm. Um, yeah. But 
uh, phishing is an easy way of getting someone to surrender their details for you. It's like you don't rob the house, you, you borrow the key to get in the door. Um, yes. And for example, in, in the real world, it would be people who hide their key under a flower pot. Well, you know, mm -hmm. the thief can get in because the key's under the flower pot. They just open the door, get in, take this off. Um, you know, they could even lock the door afterwards and put the key back under the flower pot. That has happened. Um, and in mm -hmm. cybersecurity terms, uh, in phishing, they take something, uh, you know, i.e. transfer money from your bank account. They may not even want your money. They, what they may want to do is use your account to transfer money to someone else and then they leave your money alone because they don't want to get caught. And yeah, if you're not yeah. watching your transactions um, or you're not careful, you might you might not notice that, you know, a million euro has come into your account, gone out of your account, and you still have the same account balance. That's happened before as well. Yeah. That's called money muling. Um, mm. And That's if, if that happens, you well, get in yeah. serious trouble for it. Yeah. So just what, what form would this take? When we're talking about phishing and people kind of almost robbing your, your details or trying to get you to give them your details, what form does that take for the for the end user, for the person who's at home sitting on their, their computer? Um, how will so they, they first get, become aware of something like that? They'd get a message from their bank or from, you know, uh, some business that they had dealings with. Um, mm. And they would, it would say, uh, oh, you know, there's been a hack on our website and we need you to confirm all your details. And when you go mm. into the form, now, by the way, never click on those links because they can they can try and download stuff to your computer anyway, regardless of whether you fill in, in the form or not. But when you fill in the mm -hmm. form, it'll ask you for everything. It'll ask you for your credit card number, your date of birth, uh, all the uh, security, your account, um, everything. It'll ask you for everything in the one form. And of course, once they have all that, they can uh, then get into your account. So yeah, they, they, yeah. once again, if they're asking for too much data, it's like, well, the bank would already have this and if they were hacked, why would they need you to reconfirm all that? You know, they'd already have all yeah, yeah. Um, It would be yeah. that someone else had stolen it. Um, yes. And it wouldn't, they wouldn't delete it from the bank. They would just take it. Because if you delete it from the bank, it becomes useless to you. For example, if you went into AIB and you stole all the credit card numbers and then you deleted all the credit card numbers off the AIB bank system, well, you would have made it the data you stole immediately useless because the credit card numbers no longer work. Mm. You're going to delete the data. So there's no reason a bank would ever ask you to reconfirm that data. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're never going to have somehow lost your lost your details that way. What what if you get a, an email message or a, a text message or whatever form this, this message comes in and you, you suspect that it is a phishing attempt? You mentioned earlier there's not really much point anymore in reporting those. Is that is does that apply for, for all of these? Is that um something even when you get like a text message through? Well, for your own sake you can you can stick it in your spam folder. But there's like, I wouldn't contact the bank and say, oh my God, I got this phishing message because they, they say, oh yeah, there's, there's hundreds of them out there. Um but if the message asks you to do something, right, you can always yeah. go to your bank's website itself. Uh, by typing it in manually into the address bar and looking up the contact number, or if you have the contact number for your bank, um, contacting the bank and, you know, uh, you go to the bank and you ask them, you know, I've got this message and the bank will nearly always say, yeah, that's a scam. But you can nearly always tell anyway because the spelling is usually terrible on them um, and the punctuation, the grammar is usually pretty awful. 
um, mm. not always, but usually. Um, and also, uh, there's a very there's very good if you go to YouTube. There's a very good guy called Jim Browning, who explains a lot of these scams in great detail. And what he does is he he actually gets the scammers to ring him, and then he records them as they go through their scam. And he sets up a he has a fake bank account set up for this, so they think they're getting yeah. all his money. And of course, it's a fake bank account. And at the end of the call, you hear the scammer usually cursing and swearing because they realise this guy has been wasting their time yeah. for about an hour. Um, yeah. And he he does this for for a living. Kind yeah, of scammers yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah. and he puts a, he puts the videos up on YouTube. Um, so it is interesting to hear that because the scams always always follow the same script, and the script is quite simple. They want you to do something. They want you to do something now. And they don't want you to talk to anyone about it. That's the key. They want to isolate you. They want you to not talk to anyone and make sure that you are in a panic. And when you're in the panic, you'll give them information that you otherwise wouldn't give them. Um, yeah. That's the thing. It, it, there's always an urgency and they always don't want you to talk to anyone. Because, of course, if you talk to anyone, you know, the other person would say, that's a scam. Just hang up the call. Yeah. Um, yeah. So normally when you get these calls, like someone brings up, oh, I'm from Microsoft and your computer is sending out viruses to the internet. Well, that's nonsense. Um, yeah. And if if that happens, the best thing to do is just go, thank you, and hang up. You know, just hang yeah. up. Because there's no point in, um, yeah. in hanging up. And if you want to call someone, um, sometimes if, if, if you hang up and you pick up the phone too quickly, the person can still be on the line. So you dial in the mm -hmm. number for your bank and the other call hasn't terminated. So you have to be careful. You have to make sure that before you dial a number, you get a dial tone. That's an interesting one as well. Yeah, very good. Yes. That's a, a, a good tip for, for people. Because um, yes. I think as well, just as we're talking about this, the, the thing that you mentioned there about sometimes the, the most effective thing for the scammer is if they're able to get you into a bit of a panic and then you don't think straight. Yeah. You might know about some of these security risks, but you're mm -hmm. still maybe vulnerable, even though you know about it. So what if somebody has actually responded to one of these emails or they've uh, maybe taken one of those calls and, and, and it's kind of, is it already too late? Is there anything they can do at that point? Well, the, the only thing you can do at that point is to contact, if it, let's say if it's a fake one from your bank, the only thing you can do is contact your bank straight away and mm. see if they can prevent the transaction from going any further um, and they can start tracing it. In that situation where, situation where you have, um, you know, you have contacted one of these people and you suddenly realize it's a scam, mm. um, you, you do have to act very urgently. You have to contact your bank straight away and get them to stop everything, your cards, your everything. Um, and it, it's a bit like, um, you know, if you're in a car and, you know, there's about to be an accident, well, you have to just slam on the brakes. You have to stop the car first um, mm -hmm. and then try and resolve the thing first, resolve the thing after that. You can't, you can't think, oh, well, you know, maybe nothing will happen. You have to stop the car. You have to try and freeze everything um, and prevent any further damage being caused. Um, but damage could be done very, very quickly. So you're going to have to act, you know, extremely fast, get through yeah. to your bank, tell them that, you know, your information has been stolen or whatever, and, um, you know, explain, you know, what happened and ask them to freeze everything. Um, yeah. 
because that's the only way you can prevent you know the 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 problem becoming worse i guess sometimes people might be worried a little bit about um the, the risk and kind of benefit scenario or, or the balance of that of um okay well it's unlikely that was a scammer and it's so inconvenient to go through all of this process and maybe even have to get my cards changed and things like that um is there an element to that sometimes does that end up catching people out yes it can because if if you ring up the bank and they say we've no record of that call you've been scammed you know yeah, yeah. you have to assume yeah. then that you've been scammed you have to check if there's if there's no suspicious transactions on your account already you got lucky um, and you have to shut everything down if there are suspicious transactions already on your account then you uh, have to stop any further taking place and um, yes and so, so you have to act quickly in that case if you think it's a scam yeah. you know even even if it is a bit inconvenient the bank can tell you okay there's you know if the bank says oh yeah that was us well then that's okay if the yeah, bank yeah. says no that wasn't us uh, then you have no choice because at some stage you're going to be hit it doesn't matter if it yeah. takes a couple of days a week a month you know at some stage there is going to be funny transactions on your account um, yes, yeah. And you'll have to explain them. Um, yeah. So you're yeah, better off. And there can be that delay sometimes as well, can't there? So you, you don't want to have too much of a false sense of security. Um, exactly, yes. Just, just mention something first. You, you, you talked about um, sometimes if you click on a link in an email and it might install software. Tell us a bit more about that. Is that what you call malware? Is that it? Malware returns uh, is for any software where for any software which is has malicious intent. Mm. So any software that says you know that wants to do something that you don't want to do it is malware. Um, you know you could argue that that you know uh, some of the main some of the you know main social media websites have become malware with the way they're mm. treating people's data. Um, but the sure. malware has malicious intent. It wants to do something to you. Um, for example, it might want to log all your keystrokes. And the idea there will be to try and capture passwords, uh, to try and capture data on you, and then to, once they capture that data, uh, they want to use it nefariously. Um, that's a slightly more sophisticated way than a phishing email because they want to capture the data and they want to keep capturing it. Uh, so, for yes. example, once they get onto your computer, they can continue to capture. So, if you change your password, it doesn't matter. They've already got the new one you put in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, once that sort of stuff is on your computer, um, you have to get it removed with, you know, malware removal software. Um, there's no way that you can leave that on your computer because it will just keep taking stuff on you. You know, it's it's a bit like you know, um, you know, you have to stop the bleeding. You have yes. to stop that, otherwise you just continuously uh, lose your data. Yeah, yeah. And is, is there kind of anything that's maybe a more proactive approach as well? So that's maybe if, if there is something that's come onto your computer, you can get it removed from a malware remover. Um, how would you kind of protect yourself in the first place from malware? Well, you can protect yourself with this. There's a tool and now in Windows 10, Windows Defender, which is quite good. Um, you can purchase additional antivirus software. Um, I think 
that the Windows Defender is quite good. Yeah. Um, but you also have to remember that the there is no tool that can protect you from yourself. Um, in, in, in the 12th century, the uh, the London Tower was breached because the people inside London Tower let the uh, attackers in. And the expression was, there is no fortress that can survive betrayal. Um, yeah, yeah. So you cannot, you cannot uh, have a tool on your computer that will protect you from yourself. Do you yeah. uh, act in a way that is not in your best interest? Um, yes. There's no tool can save you from that. So yeah. I think the very first tool you have to use to protect yourself is to understand that if someone is asking you for something, you have to go understand why are they asking for it? Why has this suddenly come out of the blue? Why is it urgent? Um, and another thing I would stress is when you are getting rid of an old computer, it is absolutely paramount that you wipe it. And I'll give you an example. Um, uh, I have found computers before, old computers in the bin and things like that, um, got them working again and contacted the owner of the computer to tell them that I found your computer in the bin. Um, yeah, using yeah. tools that would actually break open their passwords and get yeah. into their, their computer. And once I had their password, you know, um, I was able to ring them up. And, and what would happen is you would ring them up and they would say, uh, oh, how'd you find my computer? There's a password on it. And then you would hear the wheels in their head turning. Oh, wait a minute. He has my phone number. He must have my yeah, password. Yeah. And you'd be saying, well, you know, the password doesn't really provide that much protection on a Windows computer. And now this yeah. is older Windows computers, Windows 10, it does provide a lot more protection. But even still, with an older computer, someone can guess the password. Um, and if yes. they have it for long enough, and they have physical access to the computer, they will eventually guess that password. Um, yeah. So the best thing to do is to make sure the computer is wiped before you dispose of it. And there's lots of companies who actually reuse and recycle computers. So they're always looking for them. Um, and you can get them, you know, they will wipe it for you. They will securely they give you a certificate and things like that to show that the computer has been erased properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just a way of protecting yourself. You know that this computer isn't going to come back in 10 years' yeah. time to bite you. And, yeah. Um, because very it was away 10 years ago. Yeah, very good. Um, That's a really useful tip as well. And we'll, we'll maybe get a couple of final tips off you in a second, Martin. I think we might have had a, just a, a question come in there. Daniel, did we get. Question. We did indeed. We had a question in uh, from Miriam and um, she posed the question, are banks liable for transactions done online with their credit card if you do not receive the goods or services? Uh, it depends on how the transaction was conducted. Uh, for example, you, you can have a services not rendered um, on a credit card and you can you can come back and look for the money back. But it takes a long time. You're talking about you know, maybe six to eight weeks at mm -hmm. least. And it's a pile of hassle to do because you have to prove that it wasn't delivered and, you know, you have to go through all sorts of hoops. It is much better off to avoid such a thing. But if a company, for some reason, doesn't provide the service and you're left with no other choice, yes, then you can do it. But it does depend on the company. It depends on the country. And it depends on the terms and conditions of your card. And also may depend on whether or not you have protection insurance. Yeah, so you're probably going back to your earlier point there, Martin. You know about using like sort of Revolut or PayPal or something like that. Maybe does the layer in between to help you there? Yes. Yeah, because the, the layer in between is always, you know, when I'm ever doing anything, I always use the Revolut. 
Um, and it's also a handy way. Let's say, you know, for example, your Netflix comes out, you know, in the middle of the month, but you get paid at the start of the month. You can always use your Revolut as a way of managing your finances as well, because, you know, you just put the money onto that and you go, OK, the Netflix will take it, you know, in the middle of the month and I have yeah. less money. Um, and it means that you don't have to think about it and you're constantly be trying to calculate to make sure you don't spend too much money because you can separate then out your spending money from your, you know, your standing order or your direct debit money or things like that. Um, so it, it's useful as, as a function for that as well, but it's really useful in terms of security because you're layering. And that's the key thing with security is to layer it, not to have something that's really, really strong and then no security behind this, but you to have yeah. all these layers. Um, right. For for example, um, uh, Wi-Fi passwords. A lot of people get, will, you know, will continue with the default Wi-Fi password for their internet service provider. And it depends on, depending on your internet service provider, for example, Aircom, all the Wi-Fi passwords are uppercase letters and uh, numbers, and they're letters between uh, a zero to, to nine. So you've got, you've got all the numbers, but the letters are between uh, A to F because they're what's known as hexadecimal uh, values. Yeah. So that means that anyone who wants to hack a wife, an Aircom Wi-Fi can narrow down their search results. But they know the password is going to be 10 digits long and they know it's going to be numbers and letters and the, the, only, the only letters they have to worry about are the letters between A and, A and F. So they can narrow down the, the amount of time they need to attack it. Yeah. Um, now, most yeah. people uh, don't have to worry too much about their Wi-Fi being attacked because the signal probably won't be strong enough outside their own house. But even still, it is best to make sure that your Wi-Fi password is reasonably secure and is not something that can be guessed. Uh, there are tools, there's a thing called Hashcat, which will uh, guess passwords. And it can guess, you know, a million passwords in about 20 seconds. So if you have something like that pointing at your Wi-Fi, eventually yeah. it's going to get in. Goodness. So that's why you, you, you use it. The longer the password you use, the better. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There was one... Yeah, uh, just there was one case there, just briefly going back to the credit cards and the websites, um, where somebody was um, purchasing, you know, it would be a fairly expensive purchase, but it would be, you know, a kind of an, a, a decent price. Now, not obviously too good to be true price, but when when they went on to the website, um, you know, to go to pay for it, and they said, oh, sorry, there's an issue with our payment system, please phone such a number. Uh, to complete and they give you the order number next thing you phone up and you give them the credit card detail and it comes back in oh sorry actually you know you might have got a text back from the bank did you, did you get a text to your phone you give them the text and then it still gets declined and they run it again you get another text back and what, what we found was that the the excuse was the first time was uh, overcharging 800 sterling let's say and oh sorry that didn't go through in sterling we'll try it in Europe but what you've actually done was Hit your hit your bank card twice, and mm -hmm. yeah, the goods never arrive after that. So that's another one to just to watch out for. That's going doing the rounds at the moment. There's a lot in yeah, it, isn't there? There's a lot in this this yeah. subject actually yeah. of yeah, online security. I, I just mentioned that we're just kind of running a little bit short on time at at the moment, Martin. Could you give us just maybe the final couple of things that you would say to somebody if you're kind of because we've talked about a number of different threats and there's loads of 
there's loads more to this that we could talk about. But if you were to pick one or two sort of top tips for keeping yourself safe online, what would be the fi your final word on it, if you like? Um, I would say layer your security, use Revolut, mm. use different layers, um, and also use a password manager and make your passwords, like all my passwords are 40 characters long, 40. Um, mm. The longer the better. Uh, the calculation I did on that would take a computer five billion years <laughs> to guess your password. Um, you know, and in five billion years, I won't care. Um, so, it, you know, you have to you have to make your passwords long. Use a password manager, um, and have different passwords for everything. There's a very useful website called Have You Been Pwned. I'll, I'll email it on to you. Um, yeah. It'll actually tell you if your email has ever been involved in a data breach. And don't worry everyone's email has been involved in a data breach, everyone's. Wow. Um, yeah. But, and it'll tell you what was stolen in that data breach. Um, wow. So I, I really recommend that website. Yeah, um, yeah. It's called Have You Been Phoned? We um, might be, we might be able to put that on to our um, newsletter or something similar to get it out to people as well. So yeah, that'll be really good. Yeah. I'll, send, I'll send you on the link to it because it's really, really useful. Um, at least it tells you if your website, if you find your website or your sorry, your email has been in a website that was breached, then mm. you can change the password. And if your password is the same on another website, you have to change it there as well. Yeah, the, yeah, very good. The biggest tips I would be, you know, keep your passwords very long and yeah. use a password manager and, you know, bookmark your favorite banking websites and things like that and always go to the bookmark rather than to the, um, uh, to the, to the link in the email. Um, if someone is asking you to do something really urgently, uh, just stop because why are they asking to do it urgently? Um, and finally, you know, you always have to keep your head screwed on. You really do have to kind of keep um, one step ahead of them because, as I said, there's loads of them. There's loads of different, and yeah. they're variations on a theme. They'll be slightly yeah. different, but they're variations on a theme. Very good. Well, it's been great to talk to you, Martin. Um, really good to to get that insight into keeping one, yourself safe online and uh, really appreciate you coming on to the show today. One, Martin. More, one more question just before Martin goes. How do you spell Revolut correctly for the listeners? <laughs> uh, Revolut, uh, R-E-V-O-L-U-T, I think it is. There's no E in it. Um, okay. It's a fairly big banking app. Um, now, as a visually impaired person, you're going to need a little bit of help setting it up because it asks you to take a picture of yourself. Um, so, and it asks you to put your face in kind of in a frame. Um, yeah. So you will need some side of the assistance. Um, but apart from that, it is very useful. And the app is quite good. Um, there are some accessibility issues with it, but mostly it's usable. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I would use the Revolut um, because it's very, very handy. Brilliant. Well, that's really good information. Thank you very much for, for that, you, Martin. And I uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. And okay. Of course, uh, for anybody listening to that, if you've any follow-up questions to that as well, the, the team here at NCBI Labs can uh, either try and answer the questions ourselves if there's anything else you have to put to Martin as well. We'll try and get in touch with Martin and I'm sure that he'll, he'll be happy to answer as well. So really good informative section there and um, we'll, we'll continue on um, with the, the rest of the show, just briefly, we'll, we'll cover our um, tech help this week. So this week, coming into the um, emails, we had a request about, I think this may be a, a follow on from last week, we were talking about uh, Wi-Fi and connection issues and things like that. How would somebody 
actually change their Wi-Fi connection or just check even what what network they're connected to or how they're connected? Is is there a way they could do that? We'll put that to the panel. Yeah, I suppose the, the easiest way to kind of get to that, um, Jude, would be Windows and B always brings you to the notification area. Mm. And then you can right arrow along through the open notifications, which is like for me, it would be things like I'd have OneDrive, my laptop's battery, my volume, and um, I'd always jump straight to the Chevron. But then in the in that right arrow list, you'll find um, your Wi-Fi and you can enter our space bar on that. It'll bring up the list of uh, different Wi-Fi's and that's handy if you ever need to just change. Like sometimes in the house, people might have a 2.4G or a 5G connection or they might have an extender with a different name and as they move to the house, they might want to maybe make sure that they're that the laptop is automatically switched to the one they're closest to. Yes, yeah, I know, that's really I know, handy. Yeah. I know in my house, I think I'm on the on, on the extender when I'm when I'm no, on, on, upstairs, but I'm going. The internet's very slow. I just have to go down to my connections. And go. I just actually want to go into this connection and it'll automatically yeah. jump over now. Yeah, yeah. That's really handy. I think there there was another way, Daniel. You mentioned it, about getting onto Wi-Fi as well. Is that right? Yeah, it's um, it is often um, often about three three different ways to do the one thing. And again, mm. if if you're on Windows 10, just hit the hit the start button and type in Wi-Fi and hit enter it'll bring you straight to the wi-fi settings and if you press tab twice and hit enter uh, it'll bring up show available networks and from there you can just arrow up and down and obviously select your network and enter in your password as well so um it's the exact same way as, as sean says it's just um taking a different road to get to the one destination yeah very good very good that's uh, very handy so that hopefully answers the question there about how to find out about your your Wi-Fi or get onto your Wi-Fi settings. So if you've got any other questions that you want answered live on on the uh, live event next week in our tech help section, do email them in to labs at ncbi.ie. We uh, just, just have a question in there too. Yeah. Um, we might pick up on this next week because um, I know we are caught on time, but is there a way to find out whether or not a website will charge customs, even though it might be a .ie website? So that's maybe that's um, maybe that's one that we could come back to next week on our questions and answers. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for sending that that uh, question in. We might uh, check check up on that a little bit, and uh, we'll we'll try and make sure that's answered uh, first thing next week as well. So appreciate you sending through that that uh, question. Now, just before we do our quick tips to finish up, um, there's still time to be entered into our competition to. Uh, to uh, win a Blindshell Classic mobile phone or a fourth generation Amazon Echo Dot. The closing date though is this Friday. So uh, if you want to be in our competition, uh, you just have to fill in our live event survey, which will be uh, found in our weekly technology newsletter. So you can check that from last week or uh, there might, might even be included in this week. It might be a, a little bit late at that point, but you can find it in our technology newsletter anyway. And the winners will be announced on our show next week. So we're uh, nearly sorted for today, but we just have our quick tips just briefly. We mentioned that we're going to do um, a couple of things in relation to our quick tips, um, but we're going to try and keep a bit of a theme going. So if you have your smartphone handy or if you're wanting to find out a little bit more about voiceover or talk back, 
here's a couple of the, the basic tips. JP and uh, Daniel, I, I think you're going to cover the talk back in a second, but JP first, maybe you can let us know about the iPhone equivalent. Sure, first. of course I will do. So that's right. So over the next few shows where we thought it'd be a good idea to cover some of the different uh, voiceover gestures that we can use on the iPhone and on the iPad. So over the next few weeks, what we'll be doing is covering different gestures you can use to, for example, switch between like running applications that you have on your iPhone or iPad and close them, turn on the screen curtain to increase your privacy, and then at a later stage, how to use the rotor as well, which could be, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, a really handy way to adjust these uh, settings like for your speech rate and, and your volume. But this yeah. week though, what we're gonna do is keep it simple and start off with uh, going through a few uh, more basic gestures that you can use for navigating screen content using voiceover. And yeah. there's two ways that we can do this. Uh, so first of all, with voiceover enabled, what we can do is we can move between different items on the screen, such as apps or menu items, by swiping right or left with one finger on the screen. So swiping right will move to the next item, while swiping left will move to the previous one. The gesture, it's, the gesture itself, it's a bit like when you're trying to like, like a flick a bit of dust or a hair off the, off the screen. Uh, actually, one good analogy that I heard there is that it's a bit like you're trying to gently flick away an eyelash from a child's face. So I thought that was an interesting one. That, that's one way. Um, yeah. The other way is that we can navigate the screen content with voiceover using Explore by Touch. So this is where voiceover will, <coughs> me, voiceover will read out everything that your finger passes over our, uh, on the screen and the last item that your finger touches will become the item which is focused on with voiceover. So if for example you have focused on an app on your home screen with voiceover using either the swiping method that I mentioned a moment ago, left or right, or explore by touch, we can then open up the app using a one finger double tap and that's anywhere on the screen. It doesn't have, doesn't have to be over the app or the menu item or whatever it is that's focused on. Anywhere on the screen double tap and it'll, it'll open up. Uh, there's just one last tip uh, for voiceover this, this this week. It's also worth mentioning that we can practice these uh, different voiceover gestures, which I mentioned a moment ago, um, by turning on what's called, and all, and, and all voiceover gestures, by turning on what's called the gesture help. And we can do this by double tapping the screen with four fingers. So in gesture help, if, for example, we swipe to the right, uh, we'll be given a description of what that gesture does. In that case, it'll be move next, move to next item, swipe to the left, move to previous item and so forth. Um, so that's how it would work. Uh, gesture help can also be turned off then with a four finger double tap on the screen. So that's definitely a good way we can practice and familiarize ourselves with the different voiceover gestures on the iPhone and on the iPad. Very good. And how does that Android, Daniel? Are there similar sort of um, yeah, gestures again, on that? Yeah, again, JP mentioned there, you know, um, the simple gestures left or right, um, you know, to move through the items on the screen. And additionally, where you navigate around with one finger, according as you come across the different icons or sections of text or whatever, it will call those out to you as well. So very, very similar. Um, now, I haven't been able to find one for gesture help yet. I've been looking for one. That's not to say there's not one there, but I haven't um, come across that yet. Maybe, Sean, do you do know any? They normally have the tutorial in yeah. the talkback settings that you can, even if you've already went through the tutorial, you can normally go back in and turn it on and it'll, it's not quite the same, but it'll guide you through the, the main features of how to navigate. To navigate. Off screen off. Or even hearing a demo. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. 
So that's that's really useful just to to have those basics. And and uh, obviously, if you're already a voiceover or a talkback user, some of these might sound um, very basic to you. But we'll be building on this week after week. We'll go through um, different gestures that will help you to build up your knowledge of how to to use those features on the phone. So that's that's brilliant. Thanks, guys, for for the quick tips this week. And uh, we're nearly done for this week, so just a, a reminder before we finish that if you want a bit more of a hand with any of the subjects that we've spoken about today, you can get support from the labs team from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday on 1850 92 30 60, or you can email labs at ncbi.ie, or you can uh, contact us for our wider services on 1850 33 43 53, or email info at ncbi. And if you'd like to make a donation to support our services, you can also visit donate.ncbi.ie. That's donate.ncbi.ie. Or you can even sponsor one of our live events by emailing us here at Labs. Now, just finally, before we go, a reminder of what we'll be talking about in some of our future live events. Our next show will be next week. So I think the date is wrong just on the, on the slide there. Our apologies. Um, it's going to be next week, January 26th. We're going to be looking a bit at technology and sport, and actually we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. We'll be talking about technology and sport, whether it's while participating in sport or while watching sport, we're going to be looking at some really interesting technology. There's a, a really good one in a couple of weeks called Field of Vision, um, which uh, is a really interesting way for spectators to be able to enjoy sport as well. We're also going to be looking at another piece in the weeks to come that we'd we'd love to get your input into as well. Lessons from lockdown. Obviously, it's been a tough year the last year or so, but a lot of people have been using the time to maybe learn new skills or to find different ways to do things that they want to continue doing when restrictions lift. So what things will you continue doing? Well, let us know your thoughts as well, and we'll uh, include that in our discussion. And hopefully in a few weeks time as well, we're going to have an update on, on Soundscape. We mentioned that last week as well, so we'll uh, look forward to that in the coming weeks. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening on our live events as well as plenty more, you can subscribe to our newsletter as well on our website, or you can just email us at labs at ncbi.ie to join that as well. So all that's left for me to do today is to thank our panel again, to thank our guests again, and of course to everyone listening in as well. And we look forward to having you all back with us next week for another NCBI Labs live event.